Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. What a great Sunday it is, isn't it? I come here and I'm sure that you're fine blaming me for the snow because it should be snowing in Grand Rapids, but it's warmer back there. So it's nice you come out here and you give us a great Michigan welcome by putting a little snow on the ground. And uh, we do appreciate that, but I think each one who gets on a plane and goes back to Michigan where it's about 10 degrees warmer is going to say that's better. Because once it comes, it's not like yours is going to melt tomorrow or the next day. I see the weather report. Ours is going to come and we don't know when it's going to go away. 2003, when I left the mission field, I remember sitting on the beach with my wife saying, we're going to on a plane, we're going to start in Grand Rapids, and of course it was 85 on the Indian Ocean, and when we landed in Grand Rapids, it was in the teens, and it did not get above freezing until May that year. The Lord says, are you sure you're called? Yeah. And so uh, that's, a, that's a good lesson for us, isn't it? Thank you for your hospitality, hosting uh, our players. I think that you'll say... We got the blessing in hosting, but you know what? We'll, we'll do the same thing. We'll walk away, and I'll go back on campus and hear players say, man, that was really cool to be in people's homes who I've never known before, halfway across the world, because it is a long way to Seattle, who love the Lord Jesus Christ, and they care about our institution. You invest in that. Thank you. Uh, Berean and Shoreline has been a partner in ministry for many, many, many years with Grace Bible College, sending students, sending the resources in a regular basis that helps us to operate our institution. We could not do what we do at our institution without partners like you, so thank you. And I hope you take that as, serious as, as seriously as I intend it. The cost of education and what you hear in the media, what's going on in education, student debt, all these pieces come together. I get the constant comment, it's so expensive to go to college. And then they compare it to another institution, they go, how do you do it so inexpensively? All those things come together to say it is very challenging and without partners who invest regularly in the cost of education, we could not do that. We will invest $1.8 million this year. You hear that number? That hurts me even to say it. $1.8 million in scholarships for our students to be able to afford education. So when you give to Grace Bible College, you're helping us be able to finance those scholarships. Now, I don't think if you looked at the guys that we got here, they're not going to say, and this is what I love to say, that they have an athletic scholarship at Grace Bible College. They just happen to be great athletes who are going to college and getting a good education. So that's not athletic scholarship. I'm not talking about you help our, our athletes be able to play their game. These are scholarships of need. These are scholarships of merit. These are scholarships because they're serious about getting a quality education, and therefore we give them scholarships. So I know that we play a lot of NAI schools where they're playing students who are scholarship to play athletics. They are not at Grace Bible College. We're a non-athletic scholarship institution. And yet we have many, many people who desire to go into different fields. You heard about Adam talking about business here today. And uh, I gave you just a quick uh, outline there in your bulletin that talks about students who are into ministry. And those ministries are simply the Grace Gospel Fellowship ministries. And on that paper, you see, we have a focus of four things as our core values. Number one, we're Bible-centered. More and more today, and I think in Seattle you know this more than Grand Rapids, Michigan, this book is not held up as the authority for living, that God actually defines all of reality, and we can use God's Word as a source of how we navigate through this life. And so we are Bible-centered, that all of our students receive a Bible-centered education, not just in ministry, but in all that we do. And you heard that from Adam's testimony. We're grace in our theology. 
This is the dispensation of the grace of God. How could we not share with what does God's program for today in this world? We would be in error if we did not. So we are an institution that's committed to our theology of grace. Thirdly, we're ministry-focused. People ask me, Ken, how many of your students are going into ministry? I said, if we're doing our job well, every single student's going into ministry. Because life is about ministry, isn't it? Life is about when I am redeemed to follow Jesus Christ, how will God use me for the rest of my days to impact this world for Christ and others that I'm in relationship with? So life is about ministry. Adam said it well. In business, how do we in the marketplace of this world impact people for Jesus Christ? Why is that important? Because let's be honest. Increasingly, there is a separation of people who are followers of Jesus Christ who go to church and people that never grace the doors of your church again. And so the church must be in the marketplace presenting the claims of Jesus Christ, giving an example of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So we embrace that. Our board has embraced that to say Grace Bible College is ministry-focused. What that means is every single degree, everything that we do is to equip people to be effective with the gospel on their tongue, with an example of what a follower of Jesus Christ looks like in their actions, and diligently being a person of influence in this world. That's what we desire. That should be all of our desire, obviously, too. And so we have that, and the last thing we talk about is transformational relationships. You know what? God's put us in relationship. We live in this world. Our students at the age of 20 to 25 really do get relationships. They're big into relationships. We embrace that, that God grows our lives through the relationships that we have. In fact, I might say it this way. When it comes to the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, you know, they're exercised in relationship. No one sits by themselves and someone says, you know, that guy looks more patient. How do you know? He's sitting all by himself somewhere, you know. It's in relationship when you try him and you push him and you, and you bug him that you say, there's patience there, isn't there? And some of you are going, you know my kids? Yeah. They're the same all around the world, aren't they? So it is in relationships and we embrace that. So thank you for your prayers and your partnership with Grace Bible College. It really has uh, encouraged my heart and uh, I appreciate it. Open the Word of God with me today, the book of Titus, chapter 2. I'm going to be sharing from this passage. And uh, my, my thought today is talk about the grace of God. And the grace of God's towards us, the grace of God in us, and the grace of God through us. And I know my time is short, so what I do to compensate for that is I, I amp it up and talk about twice as fast as I normally do. So this has been normal. So there's going to be gusts over 100 words per minute here in a minute, okay? So hold on. And start tracking. Are you, are you ready? Is there a way that the amplification can also slow things down for you guys on those earphones? That would be good. You know, kind of like special English we used to listen to when we were overseas. What is this idea of the permeation of God's grace to us? Well, let me start in this passage right in the middle of it. All right? So we pick up the Word of God in the book of Titus, chapter 2. And right in the middle of that, verse 11, it's the start of a paragraph. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. So, Paul says it this way, Titus, the grace of God has appeared to everybody, all right? And his emphasis here that it, is that it brings salvation. So, God's grace to you and to me is that we need his grace because we need salvation. All right, here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go out on a limb and say this. What's not told in our American churches today is this. We need grace. We're lost. Without the grace of God and his death on the cross of Calvary, we have nothing good in ourselves to deserve favor before God. And grace is favor, isn't it? So you look around, look at the person next to you and said, you need grace. Okay, go ahead. Look at the person next to you. Tell them, you need grace. Okay. And then look at that person next to you and say, I need grace. 
right? And I hope you meant it, because as good as they look next to you, especially if it's a spouse, I hope you said it kindly, that, uh, that it is the grace of God that actually puts us in a standing, standing before God and realize that that doesn't emanate from me and you because we have value, we're so good, and we're so attractive, and we're so intelligent, we have an education. It's by God looking and saying, in spite of that, Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners. Thank you, your King James fans of mine as well. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What a wonderful plan of salvation, of God's grace being applied to my situation because I need it. Friends, we live in a society that tries to downplay sin and tries to say there is no eternal punishment. The reality is God's message to us is that he saw us in our state and sent his son on the cross for undeserving mankind and gives grace by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? Any of you? Any of you amen people today? Amen? I know we could stop there, but I've got another 17 minutes, so we're not going to. The grace of God towards us. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. So how do we apply the grace of God to our individual situation? What's the verse say? We trust and believe that the cross of Calvary was for my stead. See, it starts with me exercising my faith to say, I know the brutal reality that I'm in need of God's grace. Secondly, by faith, I believe that the cross of Calvary and God's shed blood was for me. And that there was no other way to please God, to earn his favor, except God's grace towards me. And so God's grace was given to me. That is the grace of God toward me. Now here's another piece of that. It says the grace of God which brings salvation has appeared to all men. It's not segregated to some special ethnic group, some social economic value, some part of the world. God's grace is not to be hoarded. It's not to be held. It's to be transferred to all people because all people are lost. And all people are in need of God's grace. And we have to start right there to say, God, by your grace, I trust and believe in the cross of Calvary. And I want to have a relationship with you. But you see, even that is a response to God reaching out to us, isn't it? And so that's God's grace toward us. Let me keep moving for the sake of time. What's God's grace in us? Because here's what we do often. We have such a dramatic transfer from lost from dead to found to life, that we spend our time rejoicing and saying hallelujah that we're saved. And because of that, it doesn't change who we are. And I talk to people like that, say, Ken, I have this incredible burden. My children have their certificate that they're going to heaven, and therefore they don't care anymore about the rest of what happens. You see, because God's grace towards us, we call justification. That act whereby... A believer is placed in right relationship with God. You see, we, we own the righteousness of God. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What a transaction that is, isn't it? That's justification. But then we move the second part of this. God's grace in us is sanctification. That's the moving of me from the lost sinner who now has Christ in his life to the ruling of Christ in my life so that I become more and more like Jesus Christ. So that's the process which our coaches on the basketball team, which your pastors and your youth leaders in the church, with our community life team and our professors in the classroom, they're all about once you receive Jesus Christ, now how do we get you to be that living example that God desires in your life to be more and more like him? That's sanctification. 
Now, let me warn you. There's a real danger in mixing these two up. Because we have a lot of people in America today that are trying to start with sanctification. And I've taught freshman theology, and I go in that class, tell me your story about how you came to Christ. And I get to the end of the story, I said, how come I never heard anything about Jesus Christ in that story? How come I never heard about the death of Christ on the Calvary? Why? Because they're talking about sanctification. See, they mix them up. They say, well, I was walking away from the Lord, and I just felt this, this, this burden that I need to get back to God, and so I started going to church again. Well, how'd that go? Well, usually in the story, and I fell away again. I go, yeah, there's something missing in this story. You're telling me all about your effort. They're mixing up this sanctification, this process of being someone good, which you cannot be, Without justification, where the Holy Spirit comes to live within you and he helps you to be the person of God. Because that's his greatest desire for your life. Isn't that amazing? You see, because it looks like this in sanctification. It looks like the Holy Spirit comes to live within us at the point of salvation. But now we have this ongoing battle and this tension of will he rule and guide my life or will I continue to run my life? And let me just be honest. If I run my life, it's going to be difficult. Remember the old farmer? He had two dogs, and they're sitting there fighting. And the old farmer and someone comes up, look at those dogs, they're fighting. Man, those are big dogs. They go at it. He says, which one wins? He says, huh? Sometimes this one, sometimes that one. Well, how do you know which one's going to win? He says, the one I feed the most. Isn't that true of sanctification in your life and mine? If you feed the Spirit, Paul says, Romans chapter 8, the Spirit will rule. If you feed the flesh, even with the Holy Spirit indwelling your life, the flesh will rule. See, that's the process of sanctification in your life and mine. It's kind of like this. You call yourself a Christian, and externally you appear to be Christian, but we're not quite sure if Christ is ruling in your heart. Now, most of you know the story of my brother Keith, who finished Grace Bible College, came out to Seattle, and started to go through law school, was looking for work. And what you don't know about Keith is this story where when he first started out, it was tough to get a job. And so he's looking for a job everywhere, and he happened to hear there's a job over at the Woodland Zoo. So he went down to the Woodland Zoo. And he said, you got any jobs? He said, yeah, we do. I'm kind of embarrassed to tell you this, Keith, but it's like this. Our gorilla died. And uh, people come to the zoo just to see the gorilla. Could you put on the gorilla suit and go sit out there in the gorilla cage? He goes, man, it's been hard. I don't know when I'm going to get this new lawyer gig going. You know, I'll get this going. Help me pay the school bill. So Keith puts on the gorilla suit, goes down to the Woodland Zoo. People start to visit. He's sitting there, you know, they're throwing him bananas. He's kind of ticked at the job. He's throwing them away. People walk. But then being a temper, all right, I can speak to this, he starts to realize that if he starts to act like a gorilla, the people gather around and there's a crowd. Now, that's pretty hard for Kemper to resist. My mother's here can give testimony. And so, as the days goes on, he starts being a more animated gorilla. You know, and doing stuff and playing with the bananas. They had some vines he could swing from. And by pretty soon, everybody's saying, have you seen the new gorilla down at Woodland Park Zoo? You know, and Keith's hamming it up. And a few days go by. And one day, he's swinging, he's swinging, he's swinging so hard, he actually falls off, flips over the wall, and lands in the lion encampment. Oh, right away, the lions come roaring over. He starts to rip off the grill suit. Help! Help! No, save me! And then he hears Steve Duke say, hey, shut up. We're all going to lose our job. So what appears on the outside wasn't the same on the inside. You got me? 
The Christian life can be like the man and the gorilla. Guy, you've got to be a gorilla all the way through, okay? If you're going to be a gorilla, then be the gorilla. If you're going to be someone who's a follower of Jesus Christ, justified by faith, then throughout our life needs to permeate, we are followers of Jesus Christ. Verse 12. It teaches. It, the antecedent, is grace. Grace which saves us. Grace which appears. Grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. So it says, no to anything that God doesn't approve of, that's godliness, all right? And no to worldly passions, the things that rule my life and your life before. That's feeding the wrong dog, right? It says, no. So grace doesn't just save us, but grace teaches us. It becomes our tutor so we can mature. What's the purpose of teaching? For continual growth educationally. Well, Paul says grace is for salvation, and secondly, for sanctification, it's to teach us. It becomes our tutor, our schoolmaster, to say no to what formerly we said yes to. So grace teaches us to say no, and it also teaches us to say yes. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live, that would be to say yes, self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present world. So it also says yes to what we didn't say yes to before. You see, it didn't, didn't seem appealing to us before. But now with the Holy Spirit in our life and a different orientation for my life as a Christ follower, to be the full, the full head-on gorilla, I need to embrace the things which God desires me to embrace, right? And so you have this, that I want to say yes to living self-controlled. See, that's me within myself. Now, really, when the Scriptures talks about self-control, it's, it's referring to spirit-controlled. That's in the fruits of the Spirit. God has more and more control of my life. I, I answer yes to what the Spirit prompts me. I say no because the Spirit brings conviction about, about what I used to do. Okay? So it says yes to self-controlled. Upright. That's my relationship with God. Godly lives has to do with my relationship with others. So internally, Vertically and horizontally, now I say yes to those things which are complementary of what a Christian should be living out. So God's grace through me becomes a transformation of my life, this daily sanctification as what brought life to me, eternal life, becomes my everyday life. That's powerful, isn't it? God's grace through me. It's not stopping right there. Verse 13. Wow. So simultaneously... While I'm doing this yes and no about what I'm going to live, while we wait, we like waiting, don't we? While we wait for the blessed hope, it's a blessed hope that we have. In the world that we live in, people are pessimistic about tomorrow. And you hear our millennials and our young people saying, I don't know if by the time I get out of college, if I ever get out of college, I'm going to be able to pay my school bill. I'm going to be able to get a job. You know, there's this, there's this pervasive cynicism about life in America, and it's overwhelming. But the reality is, Paul says, in the sanctification process in my life, that we are people that wait, we're okay with delayed gratification, because we know the story that we have a blessed hope. Boy, hope is a powerful ingredient, isn't it? Social scientists say that people break relationships when they think there's actually no hope for change. So the opposite is true is that I continue in relationship because there's hope that tomorrow will continue to be good or even better, right? And so Paul says, while we wait for the blessed hope. You see, then we become people who live with anticipation. 
Isn't it great to live with anticipation? Uh, think of the kid waiting for Christmas Day. Think of that trip you're going to take and you're going to go away with your family. It's amazing when you get done in the last 24 hours because you're leaving town tomorrow. You know, it's this, it's this, I can do this because when I get on that plane, and I remember as a missionary, when we sit back in the seat, and even if I forgot it, I can't do anything about it. You know what I mean? I feel good about it now. I'm going to land something in another country, and if I can't get it, I'm going to live without it, you know? This living with anticipation is a beautiful Beautiful description of what grace can do in my heart and in my life as a follower of Jesus Christ. And you know, it looks different on your face. Have you ever thought about that? That the world should see us with people who are hopeful. I've been on a vendetta at Grace Bible College ever since I came there 15 years ago. I said, guys, I don't ever want to hear cynicism on our campus. A little bit of sarcasm I can endure. But for us who are setting the example, who are teaching the next generation how to live, it has to be about the hope and the joy that we have because of what God is doing on this planet. See, because we get to be part of it. What's not wonderful and anticipatory about that? We know the final. So the economy looks bad. So you don't like who was elected or whatever it might be. We are believers. We have such a greater context than the immediacy of our problems, which we're so doubtful about. So he says, while we wait... For the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Guys, Jesus is coming. Jesus is alive at the right hand of the Father, and he will continue to set the account straight, to rule in this world. He will rapture the church, the body of Christ, and we should be people who live with anticipation. May God help us to do that as the grace works through us. Verse 14, who gave himself for us, to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify himself a people that are his very own. That's a beautiful transaction that he talks about again that I already mentioned from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Is that when you think about it, you go down a road and you see this business, all right, maybe a restaurant, and it says, under new management. Anybody ever seen that? All right, you don't raise your hands in this church? Okay. Anybody ever seen that? Yeah. All right. Oh, wait. Let me get a picture. Get all your hands up. Let me get a picture and bring it back to the headquarters to Matt Ammons and the people raising their hands. Okay, no, I'm just kidding about that. You guys are willingly putting your hands up. I'm going, whoa, Berean in Seattle. Whoa, chandelier time, baby. This is great. Uh, where was I going with this? Uh, you've seen a sign that says, under new management. All right? What are they trying to say? Come and try us again. We know it was bad, and you didn't want to come back, but now we're the new guys. It's going to be great. The food will not have that in it anymore, or it will taste better. You know, that's what they're saying, are they not? Am I misunderstanding that sign, or, or are you? Me. Okay, that's right. Uh, so under new management means try us again. Well, that's the terminology that Paul is using here is to say buy out of slavery. The redemption language in the Bible is you're under new management. You no longer are slave to your desires because you're no longer slave to the devil. You had no life within you. Now God's grace toward you brings salvation. Now that you're saved, sanctification comes because there's a new manager. Amen. God himself now is the one to be in control of your life and my life, and now under new management, that's sanctification in my life. So that's what he's talking about here. He says, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and purify. Look at the transaction that's taking place. That's simply the status that we have that is ongoing for the rest of our life. Salvation saved us from the, from the penalty of sin. Now it saves us from the ongoing effects of sin. That's a good way to describe sanctification, all right? You follow the difference? Justification takes me out of the penalty for sin because now I've, 
appropriated the shed blood of Jesus Christ into my life. And in sanctification, now I'm appropriating the power of God in my life to overcome the effects of sin and wickedness in my life. So that's the grace of God through us. Let me give one more example for that. And I know I'm going to be a little bit over time, but uh, I'm hoping the clock is an hour off. Actually, it'd be the other way, wouldn't it? So I don't have any prayer with that one. I'm not that stupid. Look at verse 9. I love to use this on the campus at Grace Bible College, you see, because I'm the boss. So here's where it goes. Verse 9. Teach slaves to be subject to their master and everything. They go, are you calling us slaves? No, no. Teach employees to be subject to their employers in everything. To try, I love the way Paul says that, to try to please them. Some of you are going, yeah, if you knew my employer, you'd know why he says try. To try to please them, not to talk back to them, not to steal from them, but to show them that, they, that you can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. Don't you love the way Paul says that? Here's what he does. He takes down this theoretical, theological individual practice of sanctification in my life and he puts it in the context of your and my everyday life See, he's not saying sanctification looks like get out on the streets and deal with the poor that might be what god calls you to do so i'm not discounting that in that statement he's not telling you that you should be uh saving the world from uh the rainforest disappearing or something what he's saying is First and foremost, here's what, as a believer, sanctification looks like. It means your present contextual relationships. You are a sweet saver that points people to Jesus Christ. Wow. Can I say that again? Wow. Salvation in my heart being worked out in sanctification is my everyday life. It's not your Sunday life. It's not your home life. It's the hardest part of your life. It's those relationships, and he addresses that to say, where you feel like talking back, where you feel like just stealing on your time, where you feel like I have a right to because they don't pay me enough, where you feel like you haven't been treated as an employee like you should. He says, be a person who shows the sweet savor of God in those relationships. That's powerful, isn't it? That's the grace of God working in me, and now I'm going to my last point, and through me so it affects other people. Then the grace of God is flowing through me. So let me finish my last point. Come back to verse 14. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from wickedness, to purify for himself a people that are his very own, who are eager to do what is good. So there we go. Roll right into this last point. Now I'm talking about redemption of others, and I'm talking about transformation of a world that starts one life at a time, because now I'm eager to do what God has desired me to do. That's Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, isn't it? Moving right into 10. Isn't that amazing how that follows right on it? And it says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Why are we saved? Why does that sanctification take place in my life? Because now I am that agent in the world which God desires. Let me share as briefly as I can. Here's my, my leadership philosophy. God is a sovereign leader in control of everything. We live in a fallen world that is sinful, and we all need to be accountable to a God who holds us accountable. When we're saved, we become leaders in the world to exercise the mission of God in this world, which is redemption and transformation. Therefore, every one of us is accountable to God. We're accountable to each other. As we're leaders, we hold others accountable. That God's mission is clear. It's in his word of God. As it works its way to me, through me, and out to others, we are world transformers. Pretty simple, isn't it? 
but it's all through Scripture. God has a mission in this world. He's redeeming the lost for eternity future so he can celebrate with them. We happen to be in that in that line of God's work today here in America, and it is very important in accountability to God that we become his agent. We're eager. I love that word. We're eager to do good works. Have you ever seen eagerness on the face of somebody? Can you capture that in the, I've been eager, maybe you're just starving and you want dinner, I don't know what that looks like, but whatever it is, can you capture that and bottle that and say, that's what my faith practiced in the world should look like. Eagerness, fervency to do good works. That's what God wants to do through us, God's grace to a world that desperately needs it. Let me put it all together. I've gone a long way from my individual justification before God to our collective sanctification as we help each other because the end of the verse says this. These then are the things you should teach. All right? You've heard it taught. Encourage. Buck the other guy up. Come on. You can do this. We can be a light for the gospel in this world. And then here he says, listen to this, and rebuke. Hey, buddy, we're all accountable. I don't see it in your life. How can I help? Be an instrument to help you grow where you are someone who exercises the grace of God in your life. And rebuke with all authority. And guys, don't let anyone despise you. This is the path. I think he's talking about the loss there. Don't let them despise you that you're crazy and that this is a mission worth living. This is what God desires for each one of us in our lives. So I pray that for you. I pray that for me. That God would continue to work in us and through us as his instruments of grace in this world. Let's pray. Abba Father, I've spoken your word. I've uh, tried to inspire exactly what you're after when Paul spoke to Titus. There's, there's really heavy, maybe that's not right the way to say it. There's really significant theology in this passage about our salvation and our sanctification. And yet, Lord, there's incredible practicality of change that is part of my life and everyone in this room as you increasingly sanctify us and make us into the image of your Son. Yes, Lord, we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and are calling to his purpose. And we continue to read on to say that we were made in this world and predestined that we may become more of the likeness of his Son. That's our sanctification. And when we do that, Lord, that's not something we do in the church or privately at home. That's what, as Paul said it well, is relational with the people around us in the tough places to stand for you. Lord, you desire us to be people of allegiance and obedience, even for those who do not know you, and yet, Lord, stand for you at the same time so we may be a sweet savor to them. Lord, I lift up each one in this congregation, and I do not know in this congregation this size on this morning if there's someone who's come here and never understood the difference between coming to a saving knowledge of you, being justified by faith, and that sanctifying work that happens after that decision. So, Lord, I pray today if there's someone here who has never acknowledged you as personal Savior, that it's a work that only you can do in their hearts, and the Holy Spirit comes to indwell them, I pray that they receive you today. And you do that by praying a prayer something like this. Lord, I realize that I'm a sinner, that I cannot save myself, and I need you today to come in and rule my heart and life. I receive you as my personal Savior. Thank you, Jesus. 
So, Lord, I pray that you convict our hearts and your Holy Spirit would touch us in a way that we might respond to your gospel today. We love you, Lord. We're so grateful and eager to serve you the rest of our days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for coming today. You know, your presence with us is an encouragement to other people. It's a ministry, and thank you so much for being with us today. And, uh, hey, Chris, could you ask one of the ushers? I'd like to put a couple offering baskets on the tables back there. I haven't put that. If any of you would like to make a gift to Grace Bible College today, you could do that. Um, we, had, we had some expenses bringing this team out. It was wonderful for those, for those guys. Like you said, they aren't on athletic scholarship. Uh, they are on, if they're on scholarships, it's merit, it's academic, it's other things. But uh, they made a real sacrifice to come out here. So if you'd like to give any a gift today, we'll put it toward the expenses of that trip. They budgeted for it, but I know it would be a great help. GBCOL.edu is the website. You can go to it to get information about the college. They also have an adult online program. You can get a full, a fully accredited bachelor's degree, associate degree through Grace Bible College Online. I happen to know that because I teach in that program, and it's been a great program. And so I encourage you to check out their website, learn more about the college, and most of all, pray for them. Uh, Ken, come on over here. We're going to have a word of prayer, and I'm going to ask Ken to come out with me. So if you can greet him. If you've never met Ken before, take a minute and greet him. He's going to be in town for a few days. If you really want to get together and spend a little more time, uh, give us a call. We'll connect you with him, okay? Father, we thank you for this day. It's a good day. It's always a good day when we can gather as a family of God uh, and celebrate the resurrection. It's the first day of the week. Resurrection Sunday, we serve you, a God of new beginnings. We've been encouraged today, Lord, and I know there have been hearts here today to be encouraged. Maybe they've been in a place as believers uh, where they need to uh, take this to heart and allow the grace of God to change their lives, even in the week to come, to represent you the way that you would have us to do. Lord, it's a day of new beginnings, and we are just excited to be here to be a part of this work And we leave this place with the blessing and presence of the Holy Spirit. We leave here and go into the mission field. May we represent you, the love of Jesus Christ, each day this week. And God's people can all pray together and say together, Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you for coming today.